Christopher Muse, a.k.a. Triage, and Eva Bell, a.k.a. Tempest, face their ultimate test when they pit their chronokinetic and healing powers against the X-Men's sworn enemies. Page turn noise. We've taken away all the pictures and we've multiplied the word count. And I love books. Welcome to the X-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. And here is Carrie Harris, our guest, our first interview guest of the podcast. Woo! Yeah, Woo! welcome, Carrie. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Don't worry. No, it's, the pressure's all on us. The, We're just like, oh, uh, well, the, whole, the whole premise of our podcast is about me not knowing what's going on. So yeah, Experiencing it for the first time. You don't have to worry. I'll be the one who doesn't know what's happening. It's all good. <laughs> cool. Well, so, Carrie, you are the author of Liberty and Justice for All, the first, and, and, and help me out on how to pronounce, Aconite books? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Right, Aconite books and their line from Marvel of Xavier's Institute novels, and this is the first of that line of novels. Yeah. Really exciting. Uh, I, I had been aware of these books coming out for a little while and was just really excited to, to have this come out and to, to be able to read it, and then... Uh, we connected on Twitter, and I was like, oh, now I have even more reason I want to read it to then talk about it. Um, so we're, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, my first question is just tell us who you are and how you got started with the project. Just, yeah. Well, um, you know, I've been writing books. My first book came out in 2011, and um, I'm a, a huge comic nerd. I, I loved comics way back in high school. And um, I wrote a lot of game tie-in novels hmm. uh, for RPGs. And Aconite was hiring people to do more RPG tie-in work. And I said, hey, look, I do that. Um, and it, like the week that I signed with them, they signed a deal with Marvel. Oh. And um, it, I, <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't scare them off because I, I, I was like, please, please, please let me do this. I will. <laughs> I will put on cosplay and I will swim across the ocean, yeah. you know, cause they're in, they're in the UK and I'm in the U S yeah. I'm like, I, I will show up. That's what I have to do yeah. to, to get to work on the X-Men. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They didn't make me do that, which is probably for the best. <laughs> well, okay. So you said you started reading comics in high school. What was it that pulled you into X-Men? And then just as like aside, you mentioned cosplay. So do you have any X-Men cosplay um so the thing that pulled me into x-men like a lot of people my age is um the cartoon yeah. yeah and um i used to watch the cartoon religiously and um kitty pride was my favorite because she was like me you know um and in fact i used to write really awful elaborate fan fiction in which kitty pride and i were best friends that's awesome. And we would get into all kinds of trouble together. Um, it, it was Kitty and Perry, you know, yeah. and, and so it worked out. It all they were so bad. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But um, yeah, so my little town didn't have a comic shop, so um, there was one spinny rack of comics, and um, I think they stocked it by whatever fell off the truck as it drove by. Because it was never sequential issues. It was never, you Whatever know, you yeah, you got what you got and you liked it. You figured and, it out. Um, yeah. So I would just make up what happened, you know, because <laughs> I would read issues one and two and then seven. And so you just kind of had to pretend that you knew what had writing, happened. You've been writing X-Men from the start. You've been yeah, like yeah. putting yourself in that world and just coming up with those in-between connections, those deeper yeah. dives. Yeah. Uh, as for cosplay, I'm sorry, my dog is crazy. No. Um, we love hey. dogs. Yeah, but he he's a little neurotic. Um, if he gets bad, I'll I'll make him go away. Um, but uh, I I would love to cosplay. I've done some. I actually did a Batmom cosplay. Amazing. Um. So so I had Batman outfit, and then I had a tutu. And I followed my children around, and they were Poison Ivy and um, uh, Harley. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, but awesome. I can't sew. 
oh, you know, I am just getting into to sewing and, yeah. um, but I love to cosplay and I do a lot of like savers or thrift short thrift store trips yeah. and then like piece things together and then add like, you know, felt the on top of them yeah. and like hot glue is your friend. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done that, but like the, the fancy cosplay that you would show to people and they would go, Oh my gosh, that's really awesome. Yeah. I, I don't have that skill. I wish I did. Yeah. Baby yet, steps. Carrie yet. That's so, right. Yeah. So what was it like pitching a novel for your first superhero love? So you had like, you had this, this connection to X-Men ever since you were younger, you know, like kind of what, what was that, yeah. that feeling like? Terrifying. I cried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, you know, it was one of those things where I, I wanted to get everything in right away because I was terrified that somebody else was going to get there first and I was going to miss my opportunity. And so I stayed up half the night coming up with pitches and things that I wanted to do. And, um, I, I pitched, I think it was like the day after, or maybe two days after they sent out the call. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm ready for this. Right. Yeah. So yeah. What, how did you specifically come to these two characters and this time in the, you know, vast timeline of X-Men? Yeah, uh, it actually took some, some back and forth because one of the instructions that they gave, uh, Marvel gave, was that they wanted to focus on some characters who hadn't gotten the spotlight yet. Yeah. And so you've got to figure out, okay, what's a time period where there are a lot of those and and other interesting things um, happening in the universe. And uh, one of the things that I thought was, if you want to make a series that's good for comics nerds and good for people, I mean, it's essentially a series for the both of you. Uh, right. you know, yes, exactly. Has comic stuff for Justin and, and has, it, it's accessible if you have never read a, an X-Men comic before. Holy yeah, and I, yeah. I like, there's so much about just a, a book that I love, so, like I was saying to Justin earlier, um, you know, in a comic, you see the images and you see the, the world that is there on the surface. But for me personally, like reading a book, you, the world builds around you and you do such a great job of like creating this vision in my head of like, what everything looks like, the textures, the smells of things. And there are so many relatable examples and like metaphors or scenarios that you'll put up like, oh, this feels like this experience in your personal life. And I'm just like, yes. And so it gives me as a reader so much more to latch onto. And for me, not knowing so much about the characters or the storyline, you know, where this falls in the timeline, we just... Like I just was told about the first issue of this whole all thread new, of all new accent. I just was like, okay, here we are. We're dropped off in this world. And then I got to dive into the book. And so for me, you created so much interest in what's happening in this storyline that now I'm like, I must know more. Please tell me everything. I, I have no words. Um, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. I, I mean, I guess that's, kind of what I was hoping to do. So um, yay. No, yeah, you nailed it. Totally. But, I would strongly suggest that if anyone wants to like, just really get inside these two characters heads that they read this book, because it's well, you know, and, and I think you said something really, really smart, which is that, you know, books do a different thing. And yeah. so when you're trying to figure out, okay, where do I write a novel set in this world? What do books do? Well, and, um, you know, really it's about getting to know the characters on a completely different level and, and you don't have the visuals. So you don't have to focus on characters that, are, um, that have flashy powers. Yeah. yeah. Because the comics by kind of by default, and there have been some great artists and, and writers who can work around that and focus on the characters with the quieter, um, skills and mutant abilities, but that was kind of what drew me to these characters in this time period was I wanted to write a book in which 
the characters who would be in the background in a comic get to be front and center. That's cool. So, yeah. you know, because you can do that in a novel in a different yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. You just get so much more of a connection to these characters. You know, I, I didn't know. I knew Eva Bell and I knew who Christopher Muse was, but to this degree, not at all. You yeah. Know? Um, so speaking of, of images that you don't necessarily have in a novel that you would have with a comic, so I just want to bring up a couple images so that we can use this for social yeah. and video. Uh, so we have we have that that cover image. That's the the book cover right there with our two main characters, Tempest and Triage, Eva Bell and Christopher Muse. And we did this last episode where we actually went to all new X-Men issue number one as like yes. a connection point between our first episode of the season, which was X-Men number one from 1963. And then how to, how to make a, a stretch connection to this book. And then also <laughs> introduce some new ideas, some new medium. Uh, but the two main characters that we're talking about, are introduced in this issue, which I thought was just such a great connection point between the two. So Eva Bell just freezing everybody. Yeah. Uh, we even have, you know, our, our three, the first couple of chapters, it's kind of name dropping these big Marvel X-Men world markers. So we kind of build that in our minds. If you are of the, the comic inclination, you know, hey, you know, new, new Xavier school, Cyclops, uh, Magneto, Emma, this is, I know this time frame. I know where I am. Yeah. Um, and then in that same issue, Christopher Muse, and I thought that this was just a lot of interesting, relevant details to him as a person, just his fear in his face. Uh, we see Cyclops and Magic as other characters that appear in this in this book. Christopher getting interrogated by the police, which becomes a, a recurring theme throughout the book and, and his relation to authority figures, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and honestly, this was not this was not really a, it was a time frame that I knew of, but you know this this core group of characters that kind of started us off at the beginning that these new students of the new Xavier School this was this was a, a new perspective for me. Um, let's see. How much yeah, freedom did you have in the the time frame? So, you know, you said it took a little back and forth figuring out where exactly you were going to be. And then once you got in there, were there like guidelines laid out for you? Like you need to fill in this particular hole or you need to stay within point A and point B or were you kind of given reign to create on your own? Yeah, it was pretty open. Um, and, and the way that, the way that we've been saying it is, you know, um, the, the reality uh, the main reality is Earth 616. Mm -hmm. And we say we, we don't have an official number, but if we did, we'd probably be 617. <laughs> you know, we are about as close to canon as you can get. Um, and so we try to fit into canon, um, but it's not necessarily official timeline. Sure, sure. Um, and Part of the reason why I picked where I did was because a lot of the, at least the early lives of these characters, Ava Bell's really big right now um, in the current timeline. Um, but at least at this point in their lives, there's very little that happens to them in the comics. So there's a lot of space to work. Yeah. Um, so kind of going off of that reference, did you were you aware of the five and kind of what Hickman was doing? Kind of what was the time frame of this novel and in, in relation to that coming out? I think last fall, last summer fall. Yeah, I I mean I knew some of it was coming because they had been teasing it. I wrote that I wrote this book um, actually this time last year. I was writing it. Okay. Wow, it was wow. fast. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so fast. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so, exciting. Yeah, so I finished the first draft in March, I think. And I was editing it during the summer, which was, you know, when a lot of the five was coming up. And, and so I was kind of thrilled to see her. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. Um, 
there's actually, I literally searched and searched and searched to be able to pull it, to, to point it out. But I was like, I know I've read this, but there's a moment in the book when um, Christopher mentions like his wondering of where Ava's powers will go. And I just thought that was so, I was like, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I love to find little like Easter, Easter eggs and little things about it because they're still so fresh. They're so new there. They're just becoming part of this school. They're just entering this world. So that as a person who is being, you know, implemented into this world and I'm picking up like all the nuggets from all the time points because Justin's just slowly introducing me to things. And then but I this. go into like crazy person mode and make like bulletin boards and spreadsheets and like criminal minds, like time maps. And so for me, that was like a little like, Ooh, put that in your brain pocket for later and see if there's any threads that connect. So I love that moment. And I just thought that was so interesting. I love stuff like that too. And I always feel kind of ridiculously cool when I pick up an Easter egg. Yes, and yeah. so I, I put in a ton of them. There's yeah. a lot of stuff in there that I kind of figured if you're, if you've already read the comics, you kind of know where it's going. Mm -hmm. So what's going to make it fun. Yeah. What, yeah. And then if you didn't read the comics, you want to know yeah. more. You're like, what? I have questions. Yeah. Yes. 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 We'll get to those later. So, yeah, sorry. The, no, so there's so much there's so much depth peppered throughout building of these characters, their family backstories, so much yes. more that I didn't know and and found fascinating to really get to know on a on an interpersonal level uh, how their personalities differed. But tell us a little bit about the characters, what you love about them, and how you approached researching them for this novel. Well, um, obviously Ava, especially given where she's at now, has more of an established history. Um, and actually in the Uncanny series, they go home to right. her house and, and meet her mom. So you kind of know a, a few things about who she is and what kind of person she is. You see her um, in school as a schoolgirl talking about how Captain America is her idol. And I just love her. <laughs> um, so in terms of building her, um, I had less heavy lifting to do because a lot of those details about who she was and what she found important were, were already on the page. Um, but the thing that I loved about her was that um, I thought the time bubble idea would be really interesting to put in prose because you can do things with it that you can't do in a comic. Yeah. And so you can create essentially these Rube Goldberg machines or, or like the mousetrap game, you know, where one thing happens and another thing happens and so on and so forth. And so if you're, if you're smart enough with your bubbles, you can freeze and unfreeze things to make things happen in sequence. Yes. Yeah, that was, and yeah. I love that. And that's, so that's why I picked her. That that reminded me of video games and of like sequence building and of just which I don't know if that was intentional or just a connection through your your background in history, but that was that was really cool. Yeah. Oh, I just Eva is like I feel very of the two. I'm more drawn to connect with her because I think she has this. This her connection to her mom is something that I really relate to, and mm -hmm. this like idea that she's constantly thinking of the advice her mom gives her, and you know the sayings that her mom would say, and like how that relates and how she should move forward with the steps that she's taking. And so I thought that was a really, a really nice connection, and I think it's always important to find really human things about characters that you can connect to as a reader. And for me, that was just one thing with her that really stuck stuck out to me as like, I can grasp onto this. I connect with this. Right, right. Well, it and it's kind of an interesting contrast with Christopher, who's yeah. not close with his family. Yes. And um, 
you know, when you're talking about mutants, we always hear about the people who are rejected yes. uh, because mutants are bad. Mm -hmm. And so I liked the idea of showing somebody who had family who loved her anyway. Yes. Yeah, I, I loved Eva. I loved getting to know her more and getting to hear about her. But I, I feel like I connected more with Christopher and just his, his doubt, his anxiety, his, yeah. just everything that was swirling around in his head. There was the one line about the uh, the the full spaghetti dinner that like I read that and I was like this I I, I, I identify with this line of dialogue so much. Um, yeah. He he was just someone that I, I felt like spoke to so much of the uncertainty that X Men trainees or new recruits must be going through, especially when they don't have such a flashy or assured power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, you know. One of the reasons I put him in was because anytime I play a game, I play the healer. Mm. Um, that's I, I always gravitate. I want to be the cleric. I want to be the healer. I want to whatever there is, the herbalist, I don't care. That's what I pick. And you don't get to be the hero. You're always in the back waiting yeah. for the tanks to go in and beat things up. And then you go and heal them. So um I wanted to write a book in which the healer is the hero. Yeah. It's it's so interesting the way that the concept of of healing it there's these opposite sides of it. The way you can heal and almost like unheal or like how healing expands past just physical like physical connection and how it like parallels the universe as a whole or the world as a whole. And I really enjoyed that about him and, you know, going in thinking he's got this singular level, but then diving into all his layers and, and the expanse of where he can go and how he can manipulate his power or just his personality or his own life experience. So that's really. Right. Amazing. Well, it, I had to find a way to make that possible without contradicting canon which says he heals people right so um you know adding in um all i'll say is adding in an artifact because we're in the non-spoilery spoilery yes. part right yeah. Yeah, so yeah. just adding in an artifact that allows him to do some different things without breaking uh established history mm. um was a way to give him more to to do and to play around with that a little bit yeah yeah, and something else that that came through as as a thematic thing uh, through him as well. You know, we we have the mutant metaphor obviously for everybody that's a part of the X Men, but also as a black man, you know, a yeah. lot of what's driving his actions, what's driving his interactions in these public spaces, is influenced by that, and influenced by the experiences that he's had growing up and the the advice that he's received from his parents. Tell us yeah. a little bit about what was it. What was it like writing that perspective and kind of getting to, to flesh that out as a character trait or identity? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I'm a suburban white woman. Um, I do relate to the mutant metaphor as a, a member of the LGBTQ community. Hmm. So I have some understanding, but it's totally different because I walk down the street and it's a very different experience for me than for a black man. Um, so, obviously you have to get it right. Um, I don't think you can, I don't think you can take on a character like this and not be aware of the need to get it right. Yes. Right. So, um, you know, there were a lot of talks about what, what should we say? How much should we say? And then who can we talk to, to make sure that, that it's right. Yeah. That's great. That's great. It sounds like a lot of, shared perspectives and, and just getting feedback from people, which I yeah. think is how you approach something like yeah, this. Yeah, there's a lot of thoughtfulness in it, which is really important. And it definitely, it's definitely the right amount of focus. And I mean, I'm reading it, like I read it recently and I felt, you know, and I feel that a lot with, with the metaphor and X-Men in general, just like how much I'm, I'm connected to sort of this like vibrating feeling of everything that's happening in the world and then where it's powerfully pointed out in the book and it is just enough. 
you know, it's not an overbearing, but it's, it's yeah. there and it's connecting and it's driving decision-making, which yeah. is, that's real life, you yeah. know, like those are real human connections again, that you actually feel drawn to and you can relate to. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not in your face, but it is very much so a part of his lived experience. And I feel like that comes across. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and it's one of those things where if you are going to write a character driven book, uh, which I think you could argue this one is. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You you can't ignore something that important. Just like you can't ignore the fact that Ava is is Australian. Right. Yes. You know she's not used to seeing all these guns flying everywhere. Yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which... I love that about her. I love that added element of of her character not being like a native. You know, yeah. and having those. Yeah, well, having, and then she's oblivious to some of the things that he deals with. And, yes. and right. yeah. yeah, having the opportunity to read in my head in an Australian accent was added bonus. <laughs> added bonus. Um, so we're going to move to the second section of this conversation, which enters into Ooh. some light spoiler territory. So if you haven't read the book and you, you want, so just just light as to a couple additional characters that make appearances. So um, if you if you don't want any spoilers at all, then maybe pause. Read the and book and come read, back. Read the book and come <laughs> back. Um, we will have a, another section after this that has a little heavier of spoilers, but we're we're in the light spoiler territory, and we're talking about saber <laughs> And when he comes into the book, oh my god, I love I love saber I love just I love Wolverine. He's one of my favorite X Men. Uh, second favorite X-Men, but, you know, Sabretooth has his foil, their complex history, uh, just the mention of him, you know, he owes me 20 bucks, I think, is what, what he said. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, thing, so good. the thing that stuck out for him when he came out into the into the novel was his movement, the essence of his character motivations, and just seeing him interact with our main characters in a different way than we maybe traditionally know him. And that was really yeah. exciting to to get that. Yeah. yeah, what um, what made you choose him? Yeah, I love him. Yeah, uh, it was just like if I was gonna get to do one thing, I was gonna get to write one of my all-time favorites. I was gonna sneak somebody in, <laughs> and and Sabretooth is one of my favorites. I adore him. That's and, awesome. And um, you know, I like the fact that he's he's a bad guy. He does not have any um misgivings about that <laughs> you know yeah, true. Um, no but he also he's really interesting in that he has the ability to walk the line if it suits him yeah uh, you know yeah. and that's yeah. established it suits him. yeah Definitely. yeah but i mean that's established in the comics that there are times when he works with the x-men because yeah. he wants something and he can play nice with the other kids um but it also fascinates me to see, you know, because you see Sabretooth in the comics and he is always being a badass. That's yes. what he does. Yes. Um, but at some point he has to eat a hot dog. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I love he, the eating the hot dog. That was the best scene. <laughs> he, he has to eat. He has, he has stuff in his pockets. He, yeah. he has pockets. That's in my mind. That he likes. Yeah. Right, he's not always out there killing things. I yeah. mean, he might want most to be yeah. most of the time, but you know, he has a life beyond that. And so, the idea of being able to explore some of that um, really just tickled me. Yeah, and like I, for me, I have a very surface level understanding of Sabretooth. Well, I should say had because <laughs> I never had a much deeper understanding of of him. But like for me, he. What I know of him is he's always just coming in, messing things up, killing a bunch of people and leaving. Like yeah. that's what I know of him. And I felt like this book takes such a deeper look at him and really gets into this idea that he, I love when when you talk about how he's on the edge, right? He has the 50-50 and mm -hmm. you can see that side of him, but you never know when he's just gonna switch back to the other side. He's unpredictable and there's that that line that he toes, so such a thin little line. And yeah. to see sort of both sides of that line and 
to know the points where he's going to flip or the points where yeah. you think he's going to flip and then he doesn't. And it made me so much more interested in just him as a character overall because my surface knowledge of him was just that he's just a bad guy. That's it. He's just like very angry and very feral, like a feral animal all the time. A, and that's who he is. And more yeah. murdery Wolverine. He's a more murdery yeah. Wolverine. But then, but then, so that for me was a great addition, like to see him as a character, to have him enter, like when he enters the scene and you're like, whoa, okay, what now? And yeah. like, I didn't, I didn't even really fully read the back of the book where it even the thing I read at the beginning where it says like about X-Men's sworn enemies. Like I was just like, I don't want to know anything. I just want to dive in. And so for me, when that moment happened, I was like, whoa, 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 game changer. Here we go. <laughs> so I, I mean, as a newer in-depth X-Men fan, like I just want to say thank you for showing me that there are so many more layers to people. And I almost had to have that reminder of like, oh yeah, well he is also still a human being, right? Like he is a person who is a mutant who just happens to be a little more aggressive maybe than other people. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and there's actually, I, I can't remember which issue it's in, but there's a, there's a point where Sabretooth talks about, you know, that's mine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if you think of him as, as, you know, he's driven by his animal instincts and that kind of thing. Um, he's territorial. Yeah. And so I really wanted to play with this idea of that's mine and I can mess with it, but you can't. Yes. Like, yes. It, you know, and, and so to a certain extent, they become his. Yeah. That's beautiful. So the other... The other character. Dun, dun, dun. More spoilers, people. The other character that we don't know before we start reading, Graydon Creed, who is the worst. Uh, <laughs> just, just terrible. Just a unredeemable character who redeems himself at some time. So damn you for making me feel for this man. <laughs> or at least trying to. Well, uh, Questionable. What was Maybe your impression of him? at the start of this process and, and what did you want to play with and with him as a character? You know, what, what interests you about Graydon Creed? Well, you know, one of the things, things that drew me to Graydon to begin with is that he's one of those rare X-Men characters that seems all bad. Mm -hmm. yeah. And X-Men does a great job of, of making these blended characters. Like, you know, Magneto's a bad guy, but he also has some points. But right. I love him. Got right? a lot of bad points. Yeah. So, um, you know, the fact that Graydon's an exception made me want to dig into that, right? Because mm. in the comics, he's pretty just bad. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so how spoiler are there's there's comic spoilers. How about I just say it this way? In in the comics, there's a storyline in which um, Graydon and Sabretooth becomes closer and Sabretooth does things for Graydon. Yep. He gives things up. Okay. So <laughs> you have to get there somehow, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Sabretooth is no dummy. Yeah. Um, you know, Graydon is his, but at some point you're going to have to take your medicine if you're being a dumbass. Yep. Um, yeah, that's the truth. Sorry, but that's the right word for it. No, nope, um, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so there had to be something about Graydon that would make him make Sabretooth continue to back him up. Hmm. And so I wanted to see a point before that happened in which we see that, yeah, Graydon is still probably, I don't know, 80% bad. Um, you pick a number, a high one. <laughs> yeah. um, but that there are some things about him that are real. Yeah. yeah. And and not, they're maybe worth saving or at least giving him a chance for. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, that's why. Okay. I 
I, yeah, I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. It's such a Basically, when we get into the deep spoiler section, it, I want to yeah. more. It's it's just a further metaphor of the question with Sabretooth, right? You know, we're we're wondering if he can be redeemed or how much of him is redeemable, is good at times. Uh, and it seems like that's even more diluted when it comes to Graydon, which makes sense. <laughs> um, well, and you put them together and yeah. they're both bad guys, but maybe yep. they make each other better? Which is maybe, maybe kind of interesting. Um, before we dive into the the deep spoiler cut, um, if you if you were gonna write another dive into a point, um, if you if you are free to say or if you would like to say, what point would interest you? Is there another little section of? this long-standing X-Men timeline that you'd want to dive into? Um, or a character, maybe, that you'd want to dive into? Well, you know, uh, timeline-wise, I've really been thinking about this part of the timeline because this is exactly where the, the novels are all set. Yeah. But if I got to pitch anywhere, I want to do Dazzler. Ooh. Ooh. I want to write Jesus, the one dude. woman rave. Like, yeah. like, yeah, that was, I have a title. One woman rave and, yeah. and it's Dazzler in the club scene. And I want to write it so bad. You pitch that as the heroine's line, you know, like that's, that's a solid, Dazzler needs that. You know, Dazzler oh is God. a great character that has so much fan love, but doesn't have, Ironically, doesn't have her time in the spotlight, you know. Uh, for uh, that's just oh, cool. yeah, just such a. Cool I'd point. like to be Dazzler when I grow up. Yeah, right. I feel like I would too. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be Dazzler? When they I grow? was going to say you. You would love Dazzler, I think, Alicia. Yeah. Yeah, I've only weird. like skimmed yeah. the surface of her. I know that like our friends at Generations of X like yeah. love her, so I'm like. I get a little insight through like their podcast and through their Instagram. And I'm like, mm -mm, I'm yeah. in her. Yeah. Was there anything that, that didn't make the cut as you or any like one, one nugget that you wish did, or you had to cut for any idea or page count or anything like that? Uh, there were actually a bunch of saber tooth moments Ooh. that um, were a little too aggressive or a grown-up and people are calling me Here, i'm gonna make that stop uh, there um yeah so uh i, You're very yeah. I guess I oh geez okay it's done now sorry <laughs> about that no um no but there were there were a lot of moments where saber tooth was being saber toothy um and the argument was not that it was inaccurate uh, because it probably <laughs> was, yeah. um, but he was essentially either being a jerk or a little too violent or uh, saying words he's not allowed to say in a Marvel book. Yeah, um, just a little too saber tooth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but the best part is that when he's a jerk, he's funny. Yeah. Yes, he's so funny. He's right. so yeah. Funny. So I was kind of sad, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, it needs to be readable by as many people as possible. So I get yeah. it. I get yeah. it. That makes sense. That's a, yeah. You have reason for making those sacrifices or those considerations. You have to do a, so when, um, when we would do like, I'm a, a performer and so we would do performance performances and stuff. And we would always joke that like, Oh, we'll do that in the night show, like the late yeah. night show. So you have to have like a night show version of the book where you can put in the like, the dark saber tooth moments. Oh yeah. <laughs> now with bonus saber tooth. Yes. The <laughs> bonus for the bonus edition. Special features. I'd read it. I know I would read it too. <laughs> All right, so it's time. I think we're at that that next level. Okay. Talking a little bit heavier about spoilers, or at least picking out a couple of moments that were our particular favorite. Now I, I will qualify this. I, I read the novel a while <laughs> back and then Alicia wasn't sure if she was gonna have time. To, to read it and so I think it was what a couple days ago she started reading I was like I'm gonna do it and she was she got like 100 pages through and then I was working on something and so she started reading it out loud and so 
I got to experience the rest of the book again. I read basically the the last two thirds of the book out loud. <laughs> out loud. Okay. I was like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Which was story time. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> I, I want to experience books like that from now on. So sign me up. Great, I'm in. But now on to the more. Yeah. So if you if you haven't read the book yet, what I would do is I would read the book and then I would come back to this part because this is going to be a little bit more like how our podcast generally is, where we talk about moments and we pick them apart. And I ask ridiculous questions that you may or may not be able to answer or want to answer. Um, but, you know, this is this is it, people. So we're going to say things that happen. So if you didn't read it, I don't don't cry if you're yeah. still listening. So. This is it. I'm giving you time. Did you pause it? Did you sign out? Okay, ready? Here we go. So at the very beginning of the book, we're we're in the school and we're getting like a glimpse into the training of these new X-Men under these people. And one of those people is Emma Frost. And yeah. when we're in the danger room, okay, and Emma stabs herself, I can't. I was like, what is this one doing? What's happening right now? My mind was blown. And then it was just such an interesting way of pointing out this idea of teamwork and this idea of how you you have to just rely and trust on the people around you and you need to do what you need to do and 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 let them fill in the gaps. And I don't know, for me that was just such a wonderfully crazy moment. And <laughs> I, you know, I just, I just want to know, like, what was going through your mind when you were like, you know, what, this is, this is it. This is how Emma teaches. Well, I think that's exactly the point, which is, you know, when you're thinking about, like, I spend way too much time thinking about stuff like this, but if I was a student there, what would it be like to be taught by Magneto? Right. What would it be like to be taught by Emma Frost, who is crazy and her especially at this point yeah yeah and and her um her judgment on what is reasonable yes right like what's going to be traumatizing or not yeah yeah where should the limits be would be very different from mine yes yeah so um I was actually a little worried about that scene that it was too much. Um, even though she doesn't really stab herself. Right. Not real. Um, yeah. So therefore it's safe and it's okay, but it's kind of traumatizing. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think that's accurate to who Emma is and what she feels. I think that's what she would feel was her responsibility to teach them is experience this and know that you can do it yeah, yeah it's and gonna that, suck and she's not she's not sugarcoating she's not, she's not no like she knows too she's any, been out there you anything know? like that could happen at any point if you were out in, in a the, real in, field. in in a real situation you know it's not just going to be like oh let me see what what i expect to happen today like unexpected things are going to happen yeah. all the time so it definitely is a way to you know, get them in that mindset and get them used to that. But it's just not something that maybe Cyclops would do. No, no. And I think in Emma's mind, she's doing them a favor. Yes, totally. She's giving them the opportunity to experience this in a safe environment. And yeah, it might mess you up mentally, but you're going to come home alive later and you're going to thank me. Yeah. Yes, totally. Uh, speaking about awesome characters that make cameos, make some some appearances in the book, Magneto oh, is uh, a favorite of both of ours, and just the 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 real truth of them all fearing Magneto, and just this this respect, this reverence for the elders in the group. I love that this every class is like, I hope Magneto's not teaching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what what was it like being able to bring Magneto gravitas to your novel? Like, um, well, I think. You know, I, I think there's the reality that everybody's going to be scared of him because you've heard so much, right? right. Yes. Um, and and so the, the question is, what do you do with that? You either make him the boogeyman or you make him real. And I like the juxtaposition of 
Magneto is a badass who has, you know, he ran the Brotherhood. He used to be a bad guy. We're still not entirely sure if he's redeemed. And he's serving us lunch. He's giving us turkey sandwiches. In brown paper bag. <laughs> and he's complimenting Christopher. Yeah, when he comes over to the table and he like puts his hand on his shoulder, I'm like, I can feel what Christopher's feeling in that moment. Like, <laughs> terrified. Is this okay? Like, is this going to end badly? Yeah. What's that? Like, you just like frozen. Like, yeah. okay. Am I like, going to die now? Is this my end? <laughs> so good. So good. Um, okay. Maybe this is relevant. Maybe it's not relevant. But for me, candy feels so important. That candy interaction and the way that she. I mean, I, I understand the the perspective of she, she's all into Christopher until she finds out that he's a mutant and then she's not into him. But just yep. something about her feels like it still sticks out to me in my mind. She's referenced a few times after she appears. And so am I making that up in my mind or do you feel like a specific significance in Candy? I think Candy is a representation of all the people that they've that they've met uh, you know she kind of stands in as the hundreds of people who they've known who were their buddies until mm-hmm. yeah. yes that's, that's snap snap and, changes yeah. but i think more importantly the thing about candy is that even if she acts that way the real key to that scene is how they respond to her Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and just how smooth do, Christopher yeah. is. Yeah, she can do whatever she wants. Yeah, she can think whatever she wants about them, but the real key is what do you do about it? Yeah, and I love the way that he plans out. Like he knows before yeah. it's exposed, right? That he has this little bomb to drop, and whether or not he's going to do it, and when he does it, it's just so beautifully like articulated that that reveal. Well, and they're they're trying to get out without a confrontation. Right. And there's like three or four moments where they're like, yep, we got to go. Yep. Let's don't you want to go overdo a thing? That's definitely something about Christopher that I strongly relate to as far as like the avoiding confrontation as much as possible. And like, how can I just remedy this situation without upsetting anyone? I just want to make it better. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also the turning point for Christopher and Ava where they're, you know, they've bickered, it's stressful, it's not been the most seamless um, morning for them. And at that moment, they're finally back on the same page. So it is really a pivot point um, in the story where if that hadn't happened, they might have bickered the whole day and things would have turned out very differently. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that she sort of like resets that they they are they are a team. They are on the same side. And I think that's why she sticks out so much in my mind. Because she's, she's you think she's just like a there's not a lot of other characters that get brought into the story as like a main focus. Yeah. And she still in my mind is like she's something that sticks out. So it's it's definitely that. It's that idea that no, she resets them to like you're on the same team. Yeah. Beautifully done. Um, we talked about the food and hot dogs. We did talk about the hot dogs. I love the do hot dogs so much. Do I do. Do you want to read this about the, the Christopher's Oh, yeah. Okay. So so when we get like deeper into the book and we're, we're really realizing more about Christopher and his relationship with his father and how that ties to Sabretooth, it also though ties to Graydon. And so I'm interested in knowing like when they do that split off and they go, like Ava could be with anybody. Christopher could be with anybody. And Christopher could relate to either of them on a deep level. Like he has similar experience to Graydon, but he but Sabretooth is like the the yeah. opposite side of that relationship for him. Yeah. So why why was there a reasoning by why Sabretooth was the one that he sort of linked up with or that you chose that relationship versus the 
the same experience relationship? So, so meaning why did Christopher imprint on Sabretooth versus Graydon? Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think that Sabretooth in this story kind of fulfills the, he's the father figure. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the role that he plays, um, whether he intends to or not, mm -hmm. um, because he has the experience, because he's not hurt, because he has mutant abilities that Graydon does not, yeah. and because he accepts them. Yeah. yeah. I love I love when when Christopher is like getting all mad at Sabretooth and he's like, maybe this is what I needed. I just needed to get mad at you instead of my dad. Yeah. I was yeah. like, that's real. That is that is a real life situation right there. You have to get it out. So you have to find somewhere to get it out and you can get it out in like a pseudo relationship. Yeah. Well, and I guess if, you know, if you look at who Christopher's dad was, and I actually got to create him from whole cloth. Oh he gosh, did not exist. Um, and so, you know, you deliberately create him with some, some similarities and some differences so that the relationship between Christopher and Sabretooth provides what he needs to resolve his feelings about his relationship with his father. Right. That's interesting. That's just deep character. Work. Yeah, that's mm. I love I love when things in books especially are really, really thought out from the beginning so that you can find those ties throughout the whole thing and those Easter eggs and those callbacks and those moments where as a reader you can go, aha, woohoo, this connects. I love this. So just knowing that you were able you had that freedom to, to build that character and, and tie in those moments. It's just so juicy for me. Like that's, that's the goods, you know? Oh, it's, I think it's the funnest stuff to do, especially since some of it was unplanned. And so you, as you're drafting, you go, Oh wait, I can do the thing with the, you know? <laughs> and so then I'm scribbling notes and going, I have to go back and plant the seeds. Yes, so that this will work. That's the good stuff that you go back Just and you plant the seed. Oh yeah, you know it's it's those sparks of like oh, I gotta put the, I gotta put this in here. This idea and this idea. Yeah, those are amazing to have. And then as a reader, you go back and then like for me, I go like, okay, hold, 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 flip, 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 flip. Where did I see this before? What's happening? And yeah. I love. I do that too. And the so the other half of that split, you have. Eva and Eva and Graydon freezing sentinels in time and oh, just so good really coming together in a way that I was not expecting you know, yeah Eva pushing her powers to a new level to to try and do something more with both the box and this oh, onslaught awesome. of sentinels coming at them and and Graydon almost reluctantly but still you know getting involved because of the need to for the both of their sake you know I thought that yeah. that was just really great way to show their development in the book. I love the moment when Sabretooth and Christopher come back and Sabretooth like goes behind a rock and he comes back out. He's like, um, there are dead sentinels over there. And yeah. just that realization of him going, wait a second, like this happened and I didn't take care of it. You took care of it. And just the way that they're like, oh yeah, no big deal. But we did is. that. So great. And then he calls her by her oh uh, X-Men game, X-Men name. Yes. Oh, yes. Because he, she's won his respect. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's such I'm an such a nerd. Name. I loved it. No, it's great. And then I also just like the way that um, it, it builds in that, like, at first, it takes them multiple tries to get them, yeah to get them set up and you're still getting that vibe of her in training and you're her, learning. her you're... figuring it out and you're going, Ooh, is it, maybe they should do this or maybe they do this. And the layering of sort of exposing what it is that their plan is, mm -hmm. it makes me feel like I'm in that moment and I'm, I'm figuring it out along with them. Yeah. I liked that they had to trust each other. Yeah. In order to make it work. Yes. Yeah. Like she had to, she had to take the box out of the time bubble. She had yeah. to like let that happen yeah. in yeah. order to, to take this next step. So, yeah. Well, and he had to stand in front of a laser. 
Right. So, I mean, it kind of went both ways. <laughs> please freeze it in time. Yeah, please do this thing. Um, um, yeah, go. You can do that. Um, so something that gets referenced throughout, and then you know, I went back and as I was reading the comics, read the arc of specifically Ilyana's connection to yeah. a big bad in Marvel history, uh, Dormammu, and. So, so what? Why Dormammu? What interested you about him as a character? What interested you about you know that that arc as a story of just dealing with the trauma that had been inflicted on not only Ilyana but the, the rest of the team? Um, you know, so when I was working on the plot, I knew that I needed to have a big bad, and I didn't know who it was. Um, and so I sat down with all the comics and read them and tried to figure out what's a natural uh, connection that I can use. Is there anything that's already there that I can pull on? And um, in Bendis's run on Uncanny, mm -hmm. um, there, is, there is an episode, an, an issue where they're stuck in limbo mm -hmm. and the students are there and they're panicked. And it's only the mental powers of the Stepfords that help them survive, right? And so what happens to you when you get out of that? In the comics, there wasn't really space to talk about it. Right. You know, they, they went on to the next thing because and actually one of the next things was they had to go shopping because they didn't have any clothes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they, they went on to whatever was next. And um, they don't deal with it. They don't sit with it. Yeah, there's there's something there to talk about that wasn't covered, and that's kind of what what I picture these novels is doing is filling in those blanks where you go, I wonder what happened about X. Yeah. And so they still have these feelings about Dormammu. They're scared of him. That, that was not a good thing. And you start playing the what if game, mm -hmm. and it becomes what if the Stepfords weren't there? What if? What if magic wasn't there? Yeah. We're stuck there forever. It's interesting, and I'm just thinking about this right now, of how when um, Christopher first, like, heals Graydon, and he has this, like, this sickening feeling that's tied to the magic of the box and the artifact and what it does around it and how it affects everything around it, it just literally just now popped in my head that, like, when you think about a, a traumatic experience or something that you're so afraid of, you get that like sickening sick feeling, feeling. Yeah. like you feel sick to your stomach, like I can't deal with this again. And so that idea that this like magic from the box and this this fear yeah. of what it is is causing a, this visceral physical reaction in him is just such an interesting tie into the fact that like he's, he's connecting to this thing. I said at one point, um, when he started to go through the process of, of healing. And I was like, I looked at Justin and I said, oh, so Christopher does Reiki. Like that's, that's what he does. He aligns your, your aura, basically. Okay. He resets you up. And then just like letting that, that understanding of this darkness and this fear that Dormammu is spreading through how he's interacting with all of these different things. And then that entering Christopher and how he feels like viscerally reacting to that is so interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, you know, you have the immediate physical danger, but one of the things that a novel can do is dig into those emotions. So he's having a trauma response. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, you know, and, and so the fact that that came through that, like that's kind of what I was hoping to do is, you know, you have those amazing. things that you carry around with you. Yeah. Um, until you find some way to live with them. And it's not that they go away. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, think about, talking about trauma causing experiences, talking about, you know, what they're going through in the novel, the fact that things are coming back from the oh dead. Oh my God. Things are being, you know, brought to life and, and creating. Yeah. You know, we're in, we're in the mutant world. We're in the Marvel world, but to add the magical layer and all the now possibilities that that opens up just created so much, excitement in the story and so much new potential of where it could go. And I'm just also like a huge dinosaur fan. So like Bob, and I have also been to that museum and I have a photo in front of that, that 
giant T-Rex. So like, I just felt so excited by that and so excited by this idea of like really diving into the world of a museum and all of the ancient dangerous things that are in a museum and like digging deeper. That's what's so wonderful about a book, right? You could take every little detail of the world around and then be like, how do I use this to enhance the story? Um, did, have you ever been to that museum? Did you like, did you spend a lot of time there doing like research? How did uh, the museum element play in? I didn't spend a lot of time there doing research. I was actually born in Chicago. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, I, I didn't live there for a long time, but we used to go back fairly frequently to visit family. And so I've been to that museum. And actually, um, that scene is also a callback to another book. Mm. Um, the, the Dresden Files series. Are you yeah, familiar with that? This. Uh, yeah. Nope. Well, Put it on my list. It, it's like <laughs> book five or six. Something similar happens. It's, it's different. I put my own spin on it. Um, I swear I didn't just steal it because that would suck. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's one of my favorite scenes of all time. And so when I was trying to figure out what I could do with this, um, it, you know, it, I thought of that scene and I thought, what if it had gone very differently? Hmm. And that's yeah. where... Yeah, that's where that came from. I have a lot of questions about this box. Mm. Like a lot of questions about them. I And you don't, like I said, if you can't answer them, you get, I understand. Some of them maybe I can't, but let's see. But I'll, I'll give you my, I want to know, because this box is in the evolution of mutants exhibit, right? Mm -hmm. So what, how? Is it related to the evolution of mutants? One, I need to I need the little placard that tells me like what is why is it in the exhibit? And two, why does Shield want it? Do I and and is there a place I can go to read the information that will answer my questions? No. I made it up. Yeah. Amazing. I love you. My creation. Yeah. And um I know the answers to those questions. But I'd like to put them in a book someday if they let me. Nice. Great. So yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off yeah, and yeah, I'll yeah. just say um, that you know there are a lot of magical artifacts um, in in the Marvel universe. Obviously, uh, most of them are collected by Doctor Strange and the Sanctum Sanctorum, right? Yes. Yes. And I did <laughs> do some research yeah. about. Yeah, the connection there before I. Yeah, so but but there's a there's a part of the series in which uh, Ilyana becomes Strange's disciple. Mm -hmm. She trains under him, and and there's a timeline in which she becomes the Sorcerer Supreme, and and all this stuff because she's got serious wow. magic chops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, no, yeah. no, that I just makes that me thing. want to yeah. read it. Oh yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> But the thing is, if those things are true, and if her magical skills, at least in part, come from being a mutant, it it logically follows that there are magical artifacts that are somehow related to mutants, or only usable by mutants, or somehow mutanty. Yeah, this is fantastic. And Who so, all to get you to write this book. <laughs> I'd write. Um, I don't know. <laughs> How can I, Marvel? Please, please let me write about the box. Um, but so I think, you know, my idea was this is, this is an artifact that is somehow mutanty, mm -hmm. in ways that I will not specify, but mm -hmm. that I would love to play with because if you, you know, if you read about how the box is described, there are a ton of doors in them. And yeah. only one or two open. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, just it just creates a lot more intrigue and in, and in setup of what could be told. Could be told maybe if right, right. the opportunity um, presented itself. Let's make it happen, people, because I gotta know. <laughs> I think I think this is our last question. We got. <gasps> yeah, go ahead. You can do it. So, do you know how Sabretooth gets out of limbo? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I told Justin that at this point in time, so Justin does this thing on our podcast when we're we're reading a section and I want to know the answer, he'll go, as we can assume, because <laughs> he knows, but I can't know. So I was like, great, uh, we're going to get to a point where we're going to want to know the answers and she's going to be like, nope. Well, I actually don't think this one would ever appear in a book, but you figure if you if they're going to put him there, he has to have a way that he gets out. Right. And because we see him. Yeah. Um, it never made it onto the page, but uh, my belief, uh, if I was able to write this, which uh, this one won't ever happen, uh, <laughs> because it's not a full story, right? Um, yeah. Uh, he he strikes a deal with Dormammu and he breaks it. Ooh, burns devil. Because they're not they're not buddies afterward. No. Um, yeah. Dormammu still exists. Mm -hmm. So does Sabretooth. Mm -hmm. So if you send him to Limbo, he has either fought his way out. Maybe, yeah, um, but he doesn't have the magical chops to get out. He can just right. kill things for forever. Right. So, and he's smart enough to know that, so he's got to strike a deal. Yes, and so then now book two <laughs> will start with Magic and Christopher going to figure out how does the box work, what's up with the box. <laughs> no, I that, that that would be nice. Although, actually, if I was to be able to write about the box again, I think it would move on to other people. Oh, even yes. cooler! Oh God, I love it. Hey, well, we don't want to. We don't want to give too much away about what may, might be to come. I'll uh, dream of. Yeah. I'll dream of the day that this book is published. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, this, this has been a great, it. great conversation, Carrie. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Where can people learn more about your work and just about you and what, what you're doing next? Uh, you can visit me online at carrieharrisbooks.com. Um, I'm also, as we said at the beginning of this uh, discussion, I'm very frequently on Twitter, especially when I'm avoiding writing my words for the day. <laughs> so um, I'm Carhar, the first four letters of my first and last name. Uh, mm -hmm. And I will I will talk back to people probably more than you want. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. cool. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for creating such an immersive, wonderful world with this book that I really, I really enjoyed. I, when I find a book that can keep me reading for five straight hours, I know I've done something like the author has done something really amazing. So I couldn't put this book down. I couldn't wait to, to keep reading what happened next. And I'm just very grateful for your amazing creative brain. Well, I'm so thrilled. Um, hopefully it will feed your comic book addiction. Um, oh, yes. I will enable people. I'm not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, until next time, old friend. Charles. Thanks so much for joining us today on the X-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 